Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I'd like to take this moment to say thank you for listening to the Real Rescue Podcast. It means a lot to me that you enjoy these stories as much as I do. Since the start of this podcast, we've had a lot of support from all over the world. It has been amazing. Now, we have companies joining our team that also want to say thank you for all that you are doing out there standing the watch. These companies are offering discounts on their products as a way to support the rescue community and those tuning into the Real Rescue Podcast. Just go to therealrescue.com, click on Sponsors, and see these incredible offers for yourself. This episode of the Real Rescue Podcast is brought to you by Breeze Eastern, the world's only dedicated helicopter hoist and winch provider. Access. Because when lives are at stake and conditions are challenging, Clear communication is of the utmost importance. SR3 Rescue Concepts, because you don't know what you don't know. And Versalips, to be your best, you need to squat your best. Breeze Eastern, they dedicate themselves to our helicopter rescue world. Since the very first helicopter rescue in November of 1945, Breeze Eastern has designed and manufactured superior rescue hoist solutions. While much of the technology and the unique mission requirements have changed over the past 75 years, their commitment to the rescuers, the operators, and those being rescued has not. Contact them today by visiting them at breeze-eastern.com. The Axness PNG Wireless ICS System can bring cutting-edge wireless intercommunication system technology to any aircraft. The PNG system can be fully integrated into an existing ICS system or can be carried on and off as a mobile base station. They can go anywhere, at any time, on any aircraft. Plus, with the strongest and most robust waterproof handheld on the market, this system can take a hit and keep working. Their wireless intercom systems are designed to enhance situational awareness through improved communication capability. This system brings superior noise canceling technology to eliminate rotor wash and engine noise from your ICS. The Axness PNG wireless system is currently deployed in more than 1,800 public safety, air ambulance, and search and rescue aircraft worldwide. I have personally used the Axness system in four different countries and on five different airframes. It is awesome. If you want more information, Contact them today at axnes.com. That's A-X-N-E-S.com. You just make sure you tell them Quinny sent me. SR3 Rescue Concepts is a training company that can help your helicopter training. They train daytime, nighttime, aerial firefighting, hoist, long line, fast rope, rappel, and more. They can assist your program with standardization and safety checks or just an FAA annual refresher. With the certified flight instructor pilots and experienced crew, they are ready to help your agency keep up to date with current techniques, rules, regulations, and equipment. Plus, right now, SR3 is offering 10% off anything in their web store with the promo code, all capital letters, REALRESCUE, R-E-A-L-R-E-S-Q. Plus, they are offering another 10% from their partners, Petzl, and their equipment, all you gotta do is send an email to info at sr3rescueconcepts.com 
mention this podcast, The Real Rescue Podcast, and they'll take care of the rest. And Versalist. When you're at the gym working on your squats, building your leg strength for the next rescue mission, depth matters. If you're like me, getting below parallel on your squats is tough. Well, allow me to introduce Versalifts, heel inserts. These gems have become one of my new favorite accessories in my gym bag. Simply place them into your regular training shoe, either on top or underneath the insole, and bam! You've got a heel lift benefit of a weightlifting shoe, but the comfort and flexibility of your regular trainer. So the next time your workout just has heavy squats, grab your V2 strength inserts. Or how about a run, pull up, push up, air squat, and another run? Grab your V2 endurance insert. Or my own personal workout of running, clusters, and ring muscle up. Grab your original V2 inserts and go crush it. Check them out today at vlifts.com or on Instagram at Versalift. And when you're ready to get a few pair of your own, make sure you get your 10% off with the Real Rescue discount code. Squat well, friends. Coming up next, we've got a United States Coast Guard pilot joining us. She tells us stories from Cape Cod, Massachusetts, up to Kodiak, Alaska, and down to San Diego, California. The great part about this is her and I had an opportunity to fly together up in Kodiak, Alaska. And one of the stories that we get to recap is the story of the fishing vessel Galaxy. That's right. She was one of my pilots on that case, and we get to hear her perspective of what happened that night. I'm so pumped to have her on. It's awesome. So please welcome our next guest, Miss Kendall Guerin. My name is Jason Quinn. I am United States Coast Guard Rescue Swimmer number 500. These are my rescues and rescues from those of us that put our lives on the line every day so others may live. This is The Real Rescue Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to The Real Rescue. I am so excited today because uh, I've got kind of a, a, a true like love in my heart for this one individual, uh, her and one other person. Yeah, all right, two other people. Okay, there's a lot, but Miss Kendall Guerin, who was on the aircraft with me during the fishing vessel galaxy case out of alaska she has said uh yeah jason i'll come join you on the podcast so what's up miss garen how are you it's awesome to see you quinny it's been a long time it has been a long time i know know we were talking about that a minute ago but like 17 years since you and i actually saw each other and talked and shot shit just crazy and you haven't aged a day my friend (laughs) <laughs> you're such a liar but i appreciate you know what neither of you i'm sorry that's the response neither have you <laughs> that's the right answer that's the right answer. <laughs> my wife is gonna be so happy with that she's like good good job i taught you well yes. good jason <laughs> i gotta tell you i thank you again so much for coming on and joining me this this really does mean a lot to me um as you probably have heard like i actually got an opportunity to talk about my side of the galaxy and i had captain shoemaker on here so he was able to talk his um, we're going to get into that with you and I and, and your perspective of, of how that went down, but we're going to go a little bit further and say, I, I want to hear about your entire career because this has been 17 years that, that I haven't talked to you. So let's catch up. Yeah. Uh-huh. Sounds great. I just hope my version of the galaxy will live up to you and uh, Dave Shoemakers. Cause those were some great podcasts. 
Uh, thanks. Um, it, I have no doubt. And you know what? Even <laughs> if, I don't even care because I just I'm I'm excited to hear your version. <laughs> awesome, awesome, awesome. All right. So uh, before we get started on that, would you do me a favor? Please give everybody a little bit of a background about who you are and how you came into the Coast Guard, and most importantly, how you became a pilot. All right. Well, the most important thing about me is I am happily married to my husband, John, and the mother to two wonderful kids, Taylor and mm-hmm. Connor. I know that's that's my my biggest accomplishment right there. But, uh, you know, it's kind of funny how I got into the Coast Guard and aviation. I was living in Jacksonville, Florida, and I was waiting tables at an Olive Garden restaurant, working my way through college. And these four Coast Guard petty officers came in for lunch one day. And I had just moved to Florida from Arizona, so I had no clue about the Coast Guard. I knew we had one in some, you know, alternate universe, but I had never really thought about the Coast Guard. I would wanted to be a pilot for a long time. Um, my grandfather, born in 1915, started flying when he was about 14 years old, flew everything from an old cloth jenny up to 747s for twa was in the ferrying commander in world war ii flew b-17s b-25s i mean he flew everything my brother's a pilot so there's aviation in my blood it's in the blood (laughs) yep and uh so i was initially looking at potentially air force or something but they were riffing pilots that they weren't hiring so i start talking to these four coast guard petty officers getting them lunch you know all they can eat breadsticks and we start chatting and they're talking about search and rescue and boats. And I'm like, yeah, that doesn't interest me. I turn green and throw up. So, and then they start talking about airplanes and helicopters. I'm like, get out. So I went to a recruiter and fortunately my recruiter was also wanting to go to OCS. Um, he was TC1, Steve Stewart, rock on. He, um, so nice name drop, he, that's good. Uh, so he he helped me put my package together while he was putting his own, and he actually ended up going. I I believe I think he ended up going to OCS a little bit after I did. Um, and there you go. Went to OCS and applied for flight school out of that. Didn't get it. Was incredibly ticked off. Went to Group Woods Hole. It was I'm telling you, God has a plan. It was the the best initial tours and ensign I could have had. I got to run search and rescue from the back then operations center side um, on Cape Cod in, you know, beautiful Woods Hole. And then was there for about a year and a half, reapplied to flight school and got picked up. That is awesome. Nice. Well, you know what they say, life's what happened when is, you know, what does it say? Life is what happens when you're busy making other plans. And that's exactly what happened to me. It was, I fell into it. As, so as my grandmother would tell me, we make plans and God laughs. Exactly. That's kind of what I was going for, but I totally sure <laughs> did. Sorry, I, I can't even take credit. I got to give my grandmother credit. You know, like, <laughs> that's what, she would tell me that all the time. No, you making plans? Yeah. Yeah. God's laughing at you. Okay. Yeah, Noted. So Thank you. So <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, yeah. uh, after you graduated flight school, you had three units as a pilot um, where yeah. you were flying actively on standby on call. Uh, you went to Cape Cod, Massachusetts, which I is did. up in the Northeast for everybody that doesn't know that. Kodiak, Alaska, where you and I had the opportunity to fly together and San Diego, California, which is in the bottom left. Talk about going to like three separate, I'm going to call it corners of the U.S. Wow. The Coast Guard never saw fit to give me a local move or a short move. They were always cross country. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, that's uh, there's some distance between those three units too. <laughs> and the weather is so different between all three. It's ridiculous. Like I'll take San Diego any day from yeah. that. Yes. Yeah. Gorgeous down there. Love it. <laughs> all right. Well, after you got qualified and everything uh, and you were done, do you remember your very first rescue? I do actually, because um, it was kind of a funny story. So I finished my transition course in Mobile, I don't know, probably sometime at the end of December-ish, I'm thinking. And I'm at Cape Cod and there was a big Haitian push coming up from Clearwater and Clearwater was really busy. So they wanted to send the fourth helicopter from Cape Cod down to Clearwater to help backfill them um, in Opbat. So down in Nassau, it's not in Nassau anymore, I don't think. But uh, so there were two aircraft commanders that had Clearwater experience that were picked as the, the aircraft commanders. And then there were three co-pilots that wanted to go. And so we had a draw out of a hat and my I got picked first. So I got the longest of, I think we were there for like six or eight weeks. So I got to go there for like three weeks. Then I got to fly the helicopter from Cape Cod down to Clearwater, Clearwater which was pretty cool. Nice. And, uh, another name drop, Lieutenant Tom Walker. He was, I, I love flying with that guy. And uh, so Tom and I, we, we fly the helicopter down to Clearwater. And as we're flying down there, he goes, Kendall, I guarantee you that in the three weeks we're there, we will get a cruise ship medevac. <laughs> I'm laughing. I'm like, okay, why no? The ink isn't even dry on my you're a qualified co-pilot paper from Mobile, right? I mean, I am like just snot-nosed new, new co-pilot. I'm like, okay. Um, so sure enough, I mean, we're down there for, I don't know, maybe a week or something in the middle of the day. I mean, clear blue in a million, flat, calm seas. We get called for a cruise ship medevac and we launch out of Nassau. And he looks at me and I'm trying to think back again. My memory, like I said, when we were just chatting, I'm Dory from Finding Nemo. So my memory sucks. But as I recall, I don't think technically he was supposed to allow me to have the right seat because I was so new, but I figured the statute of limitations has worn out. So neither one of us will get in trouble. But he goes, you want the right seat? I'm just like, oh my God. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I get to go in the, in the right seat and we go out to this cruise ship and he's talking me through it all. And sure enough, you know, I do the hoist and everything goes perfectly. And so we get the patient back and we transfer the patient to wherever he was going and we shut down and we get out of the helicopter. I'm like, Tom, thank you so much. That was awesome. I really appreciate you having the trust in me to give me the right seat. And he looks at me and he goes, trust, Kendall, if you effed it up, I could have done it from the left. <laughs> and I was like, oh, thanks. Tom, I really appreciate it. But that is a story that I will always remember. I went from a high and then he burst my bubble and I was brought right down to the ground. So it was awesome. So was you know what? Case. Sometimes you have to be humbled. I'm just saying. Right? I was definitely <laughs> humbled. Yes. Yes. But it was still fun. <laughs> you know, but actually, when you think about that, like what a great first uh, mission, like rescue yeah. that you went to. You know, you have a very large vessel you're going to, mostly stable, like probably not huge, huge waves or anything crazy, especially not like, like, what no, kind of what no. we get I into. mean, it was as benign as, as you could have for, a, yeah. you know, for first experience from the right yeah. seat. But it's just, it, uh, that's like a major confident builder right there. Like, you're like, oh, oh, yeah, I got this. 
until he told me he didn't trust me. And it was just the fact that he was so good. He could have done it blindfold (laughs) with both hands tied behind his back. But other than that, it was great. (laughs) Oh my gosh. That's hilarious. (laughs) You know what? You did it. It was that. That was your, your first case. Hey, knock that one up. Put that one on the board, <laughs> on the helmet, little mark in the helmet. I got it. <laughs> I, mean, I don't even think I got credit for it. As I recall, he came back and he's like, well, yeah, you really weren't supposed to be in the right seat. So I'm logging the hoist. I'm like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> I don't even think I got credit for the hoist. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's awesome. I like that. That's pretty good. <laughs> All right. So while you were in Cape Cod, you also had uh, a couple other kind of memorable cases that happened um, while you were there before you came up to, to Kodiak where I get to meet you. So what is, what are some of the things that stand out to you to, uh, while you're in Cape Cod? Probably one of the most well-known, but not really challenging from a SAR case perspective was JFK Jr. Ah, uh, so, yes. Yes. We actually, we actually heard that uh, a little bit of that case from Todd Davis, rescue swimmer, because uh, awesome. he was talking about it. Like he actually, he mentioned for his side, and I don't mean to cut you off, but it's kind of funny. Like, he was sleeping and then they came in and woke him up and he's like, what do you want? It's like three in the morning. And they're like, Oh, we got something. And then they, he sat around waiting for like four hours before anybody even launched. And he's like, what is going on? So anyway, that yeah. was his side. What's your side? I remember that part of it. Cause I know we didn't, cause they didn't really notice until I think dawn. So we launched kind of early in the morning, but it was, like that's when they were, I guess, concerned that he never made it. I'm trying to, again, sorry. Um, I'm trying to remember the details. I just remember almost between two sorties, probably eight, eight and a half hours of flying around. And initially before they got the TFR, the temporary flight restriction up, it was so close to Martha's Vineyard that there were media helicopters swarming us, trying to get the shot, you know, filming us looking for the plane. And so initially, um, you know, you're trying to look down at the ocean, seeing if you can find anything, but really all you're having to do is, you know, the whole crew looking up to make sure that one of these media helicopters doesn't try to smack you out of the sky. <clears throat> Made wow. for some really still photos and, and video though, after the, the fact, but um, um, yeah, it was a case that went on along. I mean, you know, everybody knows there's politics involved. So I remember once it wasn't us, but when the landing gear washed up and they found um, his sister-in-law's suitcase or whatever, we still kept searching for a long time. And I'll just leave it at that. But um, yeah. it, it had a lot of attention. It did. And yeah. so much attention that you know, like uh, a shot of you flying the 860 might have landed in Time Magazine. It may have. I'm just saying. sister-in-law who adores you, she frames it for you. And so now it's on my, my I love me wall, you know? <laughs> Yay! <laughs> <laughs> That was so terrible. Look at it. Look at my wall. (laughs) Oh my gosh. All right. Keep this going. What else happened in Cape Cod? Oh man. Um, Had a pretty cool case that led us to be able to meet President Bush, which was kind of cool. So that's something that doesn't happen every day. So yeah. And there's actually another funny story kind of attached to that. That doesn't have anything to do with aviation that I didn't preload John. So you'll, you'll laugh at this one too. Excellent. Um, I know. So it was about, I don't know, three months or so after the terrorist attacks in 9-11. And we had this case, fishing vessel covered wagon, five fishermen on board. One of those where it's literally sinking out from under them as you're hoisting them. Um, it was the stuff of movies, I guess. The, you know, from my perspective, it was a pretty cool case. And shortly after that case, President Bush was going to meet up with the crew, the Coast Guard Cutter Tahoma. that was based out of, I think, up in 
Cary, Portsmouth, up in Maine, somewhere, wherever the 270s are. And um, the Tahoma was the first Coast Guard cutter that went into New York Harbor after the terrorist attacks. Now, that's only partially true because I met a black hull sailor who said, that is not true. We were, but it was the first white hull cutter, apparently, that was Mark Harbor. And President Bush was going to be given a speech about increasing the Coast Guard's budget. And somehow, to this day, I don't know how he found out about our case, but he apparently mentioned in passing, oh, that's such a great case. I'd love to meet the air crew. Next thing we know, we've been notified that we're going to drive up to Maine and we're going to get to meet the president when he goes on board the, the Coast Guard Cutter Tahoma. Well, that's pretty doggone cool. Yeah. And so the, um, the CEO at the time, Captain Rick Yato, absolutely fabulous man, fantastic commanding officer. And Bill Bellotti, he was the aircraft commander for that covered wagon case. I was his co-pilot and he said, Captain, he goes, because it was, I don't remember when it was, but he goes, you want us in, in Trops or Bravos to meet the president? And Captain Yada with a wink said, y'all are aviators. President Bush used to be an aviator. You wear your flight suits. Yes! Yes! Yeah. Fabulous. So we get our, our flight suits and we all load into a GV and we drive up to Maine. And we're walking. We're walking down the pier. We're approaching the brow, the, the Tahoma, and the XO comes stomping off. And I'll just make this really short to say he was not happy with the fact that we were in our flight suits to meet the president of the United States. And so he was going to deny us boarding onto the Tahoma to meet the, to meet the president. And so this was back in the day of duty phones and pagers. So Bill pulls out the duty phone, calls our, calls Captain Yato, explains the problem. And our cap, you know, our CO in 05 calls the Tahoma's CO, or excuse me, in 06, calls the Tahoma's CO in 05. And the next thing we know, the Tahoma CO is walking down the brow, inviting us very pleasantly to board the, the cutter. And so we it's get on board. what a little rank will do. I'm telling you, Let's it does work for this one. Oh, you win. <laughs> this is the best part coming up, though, right here. So we slough on board in our flight suits. And there was an Embark 65 on the back of the Tahoma. And it was all pretty and shiny. And the air our crew was all decked out in their bravos and we come sloughing up in our flight suits <laughs> and the crew of the 65 looks us up and down goes we'll be right back they run below they go get in their flight suits come back up and so there's eight of us in front of the 65 to meet president bush so he came on board he was i mean he was nice enough said he was going to mention our rescue in his speech and i think he did later on so that was pretty cool Wow. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> All right. So real quick, back to the case. The boat was literally sinking out from under these guys. Like your five guys yeah. got lifted off. Yeah. Yeah. As we finished the, the, the last hoist, we were literally watching the bow go up, you know, it was going down stern first and just watching it just sink out of sight. It was incredible. Wow. I mean, from a, from a, a visual standpoint, probably second only to the visuals that I remember of the galaxy covered wagon is the one that I remember. Yeah. Dang. That's and crazy. And we got Dang. them all off. That's the best part. You know, everybody was rescued, which is the best. Saved part. all five. Yep. Oh, I love it. Yeah. This, I love what we do. I really do. <laughs> I do. See that, you know, I, I always comes with the downside. I get it, but man, I love what we do. I really do. So man, awesome.
I love it. Who knew? I mean, when I went to flight school, man, I was going to fly Hercs. I mean, I wanted to fly C-130s. That's what I want to do. And then I kept looking over to Southfield at Whiting and the, the Hilo students were having a hell of a lot more fun than I was then. And I changed my mind and I went, I went rotors, you know, shout out to Sean Cross rotors rule. And I never looked back. I'm so glad I did. Oh my gosh. Yep. I love it. I love it. Hey, I'm happy you did. I'm throwing that out there too. It was incredible. I mean, what a, what a way to earn a living, huh? It was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Hang out and million dollar aircrafts, 10,000 moving parts, something that's not really supposed to fly and stay in the air, holds a perfect hover. Hey, yeah. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. All right. So uh, anything else in Cape Cod that stands out to you? No, there's always a few, but flew on Egypt Air 990. But again, that wasn't yeah. big media thing, but it was augured in, so there wasn't a whole lot to find, you know, but yeah. no, I was, I was, I was blessed at Cape Cod. It was a great, it was just a great unit back then with the, you know, terrific command, awesome pilots and crew. It was just a, it was a good time. Excellent. Excellent. All right. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to skip over Kodiak for a minute. Let's go to San Diego. So All San right. Diego, you were there for, I assume like a standard four-year tour. I was there for three years. Okay. Yeah. I transferred to Yorktown early. Oh, uh, is that good? No, it, well, yes and no. It was supposed to line up so I could get a full four years at San Diego. And I wanted to be the, the SAR school um, chief and the, the operations training branch chief at Yorktown. But the guy that I ultimately ended up relieving dropped his letter. So he he left early, which made me have to try to get oh. an early transfer from San Diego. Got it. Got it. All right. So in three years in San Diego, um, I know you had a couple there that kind of stood out to you. So give us a, give us a little something there. Yeah, Please. well, let's start with the, the not so fun one to talk about. Okay. And then I'll end with the, you know, the, the really not fun one was the, the midair between the, the Herc 1705 and the Marine Corps Hilo. Um, I didn't fly on that one initially. Um, we only had one up helo at the time. So we got a waiver to do, it was just hovering test flights to get our second helo up. So two o'clock in the morning while we're, you know, looking for our, our, our own, um, yeah. was doing a, you know, functional test flight on the ramp at, in San Diego, trying to get an up helo, but that so was a tough one. Let me, let me back up a little bit. Uh, and I only asked to do this because I know, I know the, I know the, I know part of the story. So the U.S. Coast Guard had a C-130 that had a mid-air collision with a, a Marine Corps uh, helicopter, and right. it took the entire Herc out of the sky and, and killed everybody on board. Yeah. Very, yeah. it was a, it was a terrible, terrible accident. Um, it was. But that's about all I know. I I actually never have read any of the write-up or the. Um, the debrief after any of the after yeah. notes. So I, I don't know anything more than that. Man, I'll tell you, it, it was one of those Swiss cheese models of just everything kind of lined up. So the, the reader's digest version is the, the Herc was on a, a case working for, for district D11. Um, I can't remember if it was a flare or an overdue. I, I don't remember the particulars of the case, but the problem was they were flying in and out of military controlled warning areas. So they were going from ATC to military control. And so there was, there was a lack of communication there. 
Um, the C-130 didn't know about the flight of two Marine Corps helicopters that was in the training, the military training area. It was a MOA or a, I don't remember. I think it was a, I think it was a MOA military operating area. Um, so the Herc didn't know about the Marine Corps helos. The Marine Corps helos didn't know about the Herc. The Herc's going in and out of that MOA on the search. And, you know, when you fly, you know, one of them has, you know, lights off and, yeah, I'd occupy the same spot at the same time. So, yeah, it was it was a real it was a real tragedy. It was just terrible. Dang. Yeah, yeah. that's that's not fun. So when you guys went out searching, you were searching for uh, not only C one thirty and our our own Coast Guardsmen, um, you also searching for the Marine Corps guys as well. Yeah, the two Marine Corps pilots as well. And sadly, there were there were no survivors. Oh. Yeah, yeah, that's uh that'll stand out to you for sure. I mean, that was that was that was a rough, rough time. That was terrible. I like I said, I, I do remember the accident very well. Um but yeah, the details I was I was not aware of. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely. San Diego, what else you got? <laughs> what is it they say? They say that San Diego is a great place to live, but the AOR is so small, the 60s have to exceed angle of bank limitations just to stay in it, something like that. So it's kind of, <laughs> you know, you chase pongas, you know, the, you know, the, the drug and the, the migrant runners, you chase pongas and there's an occasional, you know, medevac off a cruise ship off the coast of Mexico or something like that. But compared to a Cape Cod and you city and a story of Kodiak, yeah, it's, it's kind of, at least in my experience, it was a little on the sleepier side, which was good for a third air station when I'm getting old and wondering if I still want to do this. <laughs> you know? Yep, I get that. I'm glad I went to Cape Cod and Kodiak. That was, that was where the excitement is for sure. I like it. Well, let's get up into Kodiak then. Um, All right. Is there anything that you remember prior to or even after the galaxy. And, and the only reason I'm jumping around with this is because uh, I, I do have your award here in front of me and I'm, I'm going to read your medal that, that you earned. Uh, only if case. I get to read yours, but you'll have to give it to me because I don't have a copy of it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you're going to have to look it up. Sorry. You have to do That's your due diligence, ma'am. You got the well-earned DFC, uh, my friend. You know what? I, I think uh, I think you, I think every one of us should earn that that day, in my opinion. I don't know. You're the one who really put it out there. Uh, I, and I will say it over Gosh. and over. I can't do anything without you guys. It, it's it is a full team effort all the way across the board. So, and I am I am thankful every day for you, Melissa, and Mike every day. Likewise. So, yeah. But anyway, so prior to that, before we get into that one, is there anything else in Kodiak that kind of stands out to you? Not really i mean just the the sheer beauty of flying in that aor it's just incredible i mean but that was the biggest case i mean when you've got something like the galaxy everything else kind of falls falls off right it's like that's totally. the one you remember because it's just yeah. it was just so big well in that case let's get right into that one all right <laughs> So here, uh, as we've talked about on this podcast many times, um, the fishing vessel Galaxy caught fire in the middle of the Bering Sea, and we were the ones to respond. Um, 
so the award that that everybody on the crew earned or uh for pilots and flight mech were the air medals and this is this is yours right here you're serious you weren't kidding you're seriously gonna read this yeah totally 100 (laughs) percent all right citation to accompany the award of the air medal to lieutenant kendall l garen united states coast guard Lieutenant Garen is cited for meritorious achievement while participating on aerial flight as co-pilot aboard the Coast Guard 860-6021 on 20 October 2002. From Cold Bay, Alaska, the crew immediately responded to a distress call resulting from an explosion aboard a 180-foot fishing vessel Galaxy with 26 people on board located 35 miles south of St. Paul Island. En route, Lieutenant Garen provided critical input in preparation for anticipated contingencies, assisting in coordinating the activities of the three Good Samaritan vessels. Lieutenant Garen's efforts enabled 18 of the mariners to be rescued. Arriving on scene, the remaining crew of the fishing vessel Galaxy was found trapped on the stern and bow of the blazing ship, which was almost completely engulfed in flames with the decks bubbling from the immense heat. To rescue the last five crew members on board the burning vessel, Lieutenant Garen conducted a demanding hoist from the left seat while fireballs erupted from the hull. To minimize danger to the aircraft and crew, she definitely maneuvered the aircraft away from the vessel as the crew released, reassessed the situation. Due to the danger with approaching the vessel, strong gusting winds, and notification that the smoke from the vessel was potentially toxic, the aircraft commander elected to conduct basket hoists of the survivors from the water, assisted by the rescue swimmers. Lieutenant Garen capably positioned the helicopter recovered all five fishing vessel Galaxy crew members, maneuvering next to recover a hypothermic survivor from the fishing vessel Clipper Express. The helicopter experienced a flight stabilization system failure with a degraded aircraft and the vessel's 60-foot mast tossing below. The aircraft commander directed Lieutenant Garen to maintain altitude control during the night hoist while the aircraft commander focused on the helicopter's movements over the rolling vessel. Lieutenant Garen's actions, aeronautical skills, and valor were instrumental in saving the lives of these mariners. Her courage, judgment, and devotion to duty are most heartily commended in keeping with the highest traditions of the United States Coast Guard. Hoorah. Hoorah. Come on, (laughs) ma'am. All right. So here's what, uh, if everybody's listened to episode 100 and episode 101, they have an idea of what happened. What I would like you to do, if you would be so kind, is give us your perspective from a little bit actually before you guys busted through the door in the hangar to say, get the helicopter back together. (laughs) What was the call that came to you guys? Because you guys were down at the lodge uh, actually swapping or getting ready to change duty crews. Like we were off going and and the next crew was on. We only had what? 15, 30 minutes until it would have been the opposite crew, as I recall. I mean, it was, it was really close to, you know, quote, shift change. Um, and it was pretty funny. So it, it made sense that we took the case, even though we had, what, already 
four and a half, five hours on us, I think, from the patrol. We totally did. (laughs) It makes sense, right? Because initially it wasn't, you know, exploding vessel with 26. I think initially, I mean, we knew it was kind of serious, but as we were en route, we found out just, you know, how serious and how many people were there. So it made sense. But um, I have on, on good authority from the opposite crew aircraft commander that the opposite crew co-pilot who shall remain nameless was none too happy that uh <laughs> that, that melissa said uh no 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 this is ours let's go guys right so <laughs> but it, you know it just made sense too we still had time on us and depending on how big this thing was going to get you know it's better for the fresh crew to stay home but i sure am glad it worked out the way it did i mean because i mean let's think about it all the crews at any Coast Guard air station, but especially Kodiak Sitka, where, you know, you're a second tour aviator, wintered over, and hell, I wasn't even wintered over at that point. I was brand new. Um, you know, you've got the best of the best. And so when you get a case like this, you know, it's just luck of the draw. I mean, yeah. we didn't necessarily do anything special. We just happened to be the the ones that, that were on duty that day. In fact, a guy that I, <laughs> guy I flew with at Cape Cod, he came to Cape Cod from Kodiak. And he got in touch with me right after. He's like, Kendall, you dog, you're in Kodiak for less than three months and you get a case of a century. I was there for four flipping years. I did back-to-back tours. I didn't get anything like that. <laughs> it was pretty funny. But when you get right down to it, I that's what it. It is, right? I mean, it's just who's who's on duty. Um, so yeah, so then we started, you know, hauling out there. And what's really funny, Quinny, that I thought you, I mean, you can see it. I know your pod, your listeners won't, but you'll be able to see it. I made a copy of my kneeboard notes i didn't even told me when you finally like just beat me down about wanting to talk to me about this i broke out all of my you know files that are in you know a dusty old folder exciting looking through and you know wrote a review magazine there was an article and stuff but i saw this and i'm looking at it you know when we you know launched when we got on scene all that kind of good stuff but yeah, so I mean, it was great. And I just remember as we're going out there and we're getting more and more details from from district, you know, figuring out how we're going to do this. Because at the time, we had heard, what, 23, 26 people on board. And but at the time, we didn't know those three good Sams were en route. We didn't, you know, we didn't know all of that information. So I just remember talking about, you know, holy cow, how are we going to, to get this done? You know, what are we going to jettison from the aircraft to make more room in the cabin and just all of those contingencies what if people are injured that's you know it's on fire you know what are we going to do and just i remember just everybody all contributing to contingencies what abouts what ifs to get us as prepared as possible for when we finally got on scene we had plenty of time to talk about it too because it was what a couple yes, hours at least did. yeah we had two hours from takeoff yeah. to arrival on scene yeah yeah so but you're right. It didn't include necessarily putting you in the water at that point. <laughs> no, 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 no. As a matter of fact, um, I specifically remember when we got on scene, and I've, I've talked about this as well, is like our initial start of it was like, oh, we're just going to hoist them off the boat. We're, we're just going to put the basket down on the boat and have them get in. It's a pretty yeah. big platform. You know, This we've done this many times before. Um, I remember melissa trying to fly with a tailwind and that was not working that's, and not that's when and that's when then and you were like well let me try it from this side and see what we can yep. do and yeah um yeah that's- and it worked out you know i mean i'll tell you props to mike because he's having to con dip backwards i'm having to fly backwards from what we're used to and what we trained and and you know props to mike simone 
flight mech extraordinaire. He was oh, fabulous. Yeah. Yep. yep, absolutely. So here's what I've I've got questions of, and that is, after the determination of me going into the water, <laughs> this is this is gonna be great for me. I'm I'm put really excited about this. <laughs> Come yeah. on, put me in. I was so I was so excited. <laughs> Jason, get your stuff. Get go into the water. Okay, okay. <laughs> but um, at that moment in time, after I got all my gear on, I disconnected from ICS. I have now I'm unplugged. I have no idea what you guys are saying. And and what I'd like you to recap is at this point, uh, as I'm being hoisted in and we're moving towards the vessel, give us a rundown of, of what that conversation was in the aircraft from really uh, when I started going in until I came back up and, and then came back on ICS. A lot of it, I mean, because look, you certainly want to be able to affect the rescue and, and, and bring these fishermen home to their families. Um, but we want to bring you home, Quinny. I mean, and so, and we knew we were Thanks. very aware. <laughs> we were very aware of the incredibly precarious position we were putting you in. I mean, it, it's never an easy decision to deploy the rescue swimmer, but to deploy him in those kinds of conditions with, you know, not only, um, the 20 to 30 foot waves, the fire, the noxious, you know, ammonia, gas, the just everything, right? And I mean, let's face it, we didn't decide to put you in until the galaxy exploded as I was making one of the approaches um, to try to, to hoist them directly off the vessel. So there were just so many unknowns that it, it kind of gives you pause, but we knew that, you know, for as great of a crew as we were, you were that linchpin is we're not going to be able to get these, these, well, at the time six until the one guy jumped off the bow to, to swim to the good Sam, you know, we're not going to be able to get these six guys off without you because, you know, by evidence of the explosions, not knowing when that's going to happen, we can't make another approach. We've got to get these guys off as fast as we can, because, you know, if there's a larger explosion that, you know, make is even worse and then it starts going down and where are we going to be? So it's, it was a discussion of placing you, in the best position to get you as close to the vessel as possible um, without putting you in danger of getting, you know, sucked under whatever, and also allowing them to jump. Um, and then we had no ability to talk to the people on the vessel. So I remember before putting you is, you know, putting you down is, you know, you're gonna have to communicate to these guys as best you can what you want them to do, which you did masterfully um, as you were going down on, on the hook. and. And then it was just trying to get the survivors and then you back in. And as I recall, and correct me if I'm wrong, we recovered you after each one, right? To check on yes. you and make sure that you could still do it and make sure you were still in good, you know, not, you know, so drinking. So at one point I turned around and gave an emergency signal to come pick me up because I tried to chase after the boat and I couldn't catch it. That's right. We did. And then we had to, re that's right. Yeah. So it was all reposition. It was, we leapfrogged me. And that it yeah. was like after I will say after the first guy uh, that we that we got out of the water um, or off the ship, and then the second one we it was like clockwork. Now by then, sudden, yeah, we kind of figured out where we needed to place you, and yeah. and yeah. So That's I was told at one point, and I want to just uh, I need verification real quick to to see is. As I was swimming to the boat, I think uh, I was told like, "Don't stop, slow down, don't go that, don't go that far, don't get, don't get that close." 
So you guys there, were yelling at there me. Was a time, there was a time where you gave Mel and I a bit of a heart attack. Yes. And, and, you know, and you're yelling, right? As if Jason can hear us, you know, 50 feet below us and in 30 foot seas, Jason, don't go that close, don't, you know, but you know, you're trying to mind meld with you to say back off. It's true. It's really oh, yeah. true. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. That's so funny. That's but so funny. I had forgotten until I listened to yours. I forgot that you got a hole in your suit and you were taking water into your, into your dry suit. I had forgotten about bit. that part. Just a little bit. I... Just yeah yeah <laughs> whatever it happens all right so we uh after after we got um the first three guys off the uh let's see that was the stern Turn. of the vessel that we go to the yeah bow. we went there first because the fire was worse there we had to, it was like they were standing on a frying pan yeah yeah um so then we went to the other side and that's when if I remember correctly, Melissa took over the controls because now we're on the opposite side of the vessel. Yeah. And I yeah. mean, I, that one's, uh, I won't say it was, I think it was easier for Mike more so than anybody else, uh, just because yeah. now he had a better visual of the vessel. But yeah. Um, so yeah. I didn't, you know, until I actually read the award, I don't ever remember having an aircraft issue. Just throwing that out there. That was when, so remember, um, I think it was Jose who, where they tied the cinch knot instead, and he ended up getting kind of crushed, and the Clipper Express, I think it was, okay. got him, um, and he wasn't breathing, or he was, I don't remember if he wasn't breathing, or if he was just really struggling, and so that was when we were done getting everybody off the Galaxy, and we got the one survivor off the Clipper Express. And then, yeah, we lost AFCS, the automatic flight control system. And so that's when, I mean, and by then, I mean, we're wrecked, right? I mean, it has been laser focus in crummy conditions. It's getting dark. I mean, the whole crew is just tired. And when the, then when you lose AFCS, I think Melissa was really smart in, in you know, saying, hey, Kendall, you maintain altitude, collective yours. I'm going to worry on getting us over the, you know, over the boat to get this done and, and it worked really well too but you know i love the it it cracks me up you know i think i don't remember if it was in the award citation you you just read or in one of these these magazines that you know lieutenant garen providing rock solid altitude control i'm like oh come on you know i mean just the way things are written when you read them again 20 years later you're like oh come on already <laughs> you know in other words Lieutenant Garen doing the job she was trained to do. <laughs> <laughs> That's not sexy. What are you talking it's about? Not, it's not. You know, we all have bad days where you don't do the job you were trained to do all that well. We've all been there going, you know, damn, I'm lucky I didn't kill anybody tonight. I was not on my game. And, you know, anybody who says they didn't have a day like that is lying. But for the most part, you know, we, we do our jobs and we do it well. But yeah, it kind of makes me laugh. Rock solid or, you know. I thought it was. I thought it was rock solid. I was just going <laughs> to throw that out there. <laughs> uh, uh, too funny. Too yeah. funny. No, that was uh, that was one heck of a uh, memory for me. And and you know, thank you for sharing your Absolutely. perspective of that. So it was uh, absolutely. Yeah, that was a great um, crew. I do have one other question. I don't think I've mentioned this, and if I have, um, I have totally forgotten to this point. Is it, can you confirm or deny whether our crew made it into the Women's Museum Hall of Fame of Flight or something like that? 
If we did, I don't know about that. I'm going to okay. have to look into that. I have no knowledge of that. Well, that would be kind of cool if we did, though, huh? Yeah. I don't know. Where is the know. Women's Aviation Hall of Fame? I didn't even know there was one. Don't I know. have no idea. Somebody mentioned it to me, and I was like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> hey, podcast world, if you know of this, let us know. I, I had not heard that. I'll be darned. That'd be kind yeah. of cool, though. Yeah, right? Yeah. yeah, no kidding, huh? All the all the more reason they can make fun of Mike and I even further. <laughs> I know. Oh, and the next time you talk to Will Milam, tell him he is chick enough to fly with Melissa and I anytime. I remember that story you said. <laughs> so you tell Will he's woman enough. Done. And done. Consider it done. <laughs> Will, if you're not hearing it now, I'm calling you. <laughs> That's right. Listen up, oh, Will. Oh my gosh. That's awesome. <laughs> oh. So I, I'll tell you what, Kendall, that, that was awesome. And thank you for your perspective, you know, and, and again, everything you did that day for me and everybody else, it's, it's, oh gosh, I, it's been an absolute pleasure to fly with you for sure. Likewise. For sure. Thanks. So um, before I let you go, I would like to talk about one other thing, because uh, you and I were talking about it earlier, and that is you had a position, uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, you had a position where you had to deal with stuff like the after the SAR case or yeah. when you, so you know what, tag your it. Okay. Well, you had asked, you know, is there anything else you want to talk about training, you know, experiences, whatever. And the one thing that I don't think a whole lot of air crews have experience with, unless they go to, you know, say a district officer or where their SAR mission coordinator, SMC, um, is that the other side of it, you know, air crews are, are lucky in the fact that when we bring them home, you know, we get to, you know, load them out of the cabin, shut down the aircraft, take a really cool picture with big old smiles. And then we go on our, our merry way. But, you know, as we know, not all star cases end well. And then there's the other side of it that the air crew doesn't do. And that's next to kin notifications. And, and when I was at D1, I was a, I was a command duty officer there for three years. And then I was the chief of the command center for my final year. I cleaned it up. And um, that's something that, that is probably the most humbling experience I ever had. And, and my particular situation wasn't, wasn't ideal. And so I, I talk about this both from a leadership perspective for any potential still active duty senior coasties that are there um, and just a, a compassion, I guess, perspective. So I had a case when I was at D1 and it was a bad case. There's a guy who's trying to transfer between two vessels and he, he lost his, his grip and fell in between two vessels. Oh. Oh. And yeah. And just through a, a comedy of errors, you know, I mean, you know, the helo broke in the shocks. I mean, just, it, it was just a domino effect. It just seemed like the case where if ever, anything could have gone wrong, went wrong. Now the, the truth of it is um, once he went down, he was never seen again. So those those things that that didn't work well i don't think had any impact on the outcome of the case which was ultimate suspension he was never found so we had to suspend the case but it was a case that went on for a very long time and i was actually working i was on duty in the in the um, command center and by the end of it i had been up for over 24 hours and the captain that i worked directly for was on leave during that and next kin notifications needed to be made and this is, this is where I, I bring up the leadership issue. Um, 
every other captain in the district office. And, you know, you, you can't swing a dead cat without hitting an 06 in a district office. Um, kind of waved off, wasn't going to do the next to kin notification and kept patting me on the back going, Kendall, we trust you. We know you can do a great job. And I kept trying to tell them, okay, I, I believe I can do a great job too, but I've been up over 24 hours. I'm a duty stander. So my bravos are at home. So I was in Boston. I lived on Cape Cod and the next to kin was in Providence, Rhode Island. <clears throat> and so after I couldn't get anybody help me out by doing the next to kin notification, um, I'd been up over 24 hours. I took the bus home because I took the Plymouth and Brockton bus from Cape Cod to Boston. So I wouldn't have to pay park and all that kind of stuff. So I grabbed the bus, went back to Cape Cod, got in my uniform, jumped in my car. After, you know, while I was still there, we arranged for when we were going to meet um, the, you know, the, the widow. Um, and got in my uniform, jumped in the car and drove to Providence, Rhode Island. And I was exhausted. Uh, towards the end of my shift, I had put together a PowerPoint presentation of the entire search efforts, the assets, all of that kind of stuff. So I walk into this room expecting the wife and, you know, maybe a couple of family members. Well, it was um, a Portuguese family. And I walked into a room that probably had 30 to 40 people in it. Oh, and I, wow. am just, I am dead dog tired. So that's the first thing is all of these, you know, and the widow, I will never forget this. She was sitting there as I'm, as I'm trying to explain all we did, try to bring her husband home and all she was doing, she's sitting in a chair. She didn't speak English. So it was all translated through a family member. And all she was sat in a chair and she just rocked back and forth, sobbing, rocked back and forth, sobbing. And I gave my presentation on everything we did to try to bring her husband home. And then they invited me to, into a prayer circle. We all joined hands. And I completely broke down. The entire family's crying and I'm crying right along with them. And it was exhaustion. It was the fact that you couldn't bring this poor woman's husband home to her. And so I just say, you know, I felt one of the very, very few times I ever felt let down by Coast Guard leadership. For the most part, I worked for incredible leaders. Um, but in that one, from a safety perspective, I had been up for over 24 hours. I mean, I was exhausted. Um, I think this gentleman deserved a higher rank than an 04, which is what I was at the time. I, you know, I think, you know, if it was others, maybe it would have, you know, I mean, people were falling all over themselves to, to be at the JFK Jr. brief, for instance, right? Bring right, that to right. of course. Right? Um, that might not not be fair and I might be asking you after this to edit this out but <laughs> um, <laughs> but anyway um, you know and so I, I think back and I'm like you know did I show compassion during that that next Kim brief I like to think I did was I as professional as I could have been by crying right next to the family probably not you know I mean you don't want your you know your government representative you know and I just say that to say, you know, you got to take care of your own people, regardless of what the case is, regardless, regardless if it was a, you know, just a, a local fisherman or whether it's JFK Jr. Um, we all deserve the same level of respect and treatment if we're having to notify the family that your loved one's not coming home, you yeah. know? that man was just as important to his wife as JFK Jr. was important to his, you know, 
his family. So anyway. So I, I'm on board with you. Uh, the only thing that I might argue with is that I, I don't think there's anything wrong with you crying with that family and, sh and, and showing the emotion. <laughs> Like I, and that's a personal opinion. Um, you know, I've broken down with, with others that have had it and. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Um, yeah. but man, it was, it was just, I mean, it's a brutal thing to do and nobody wants to do next to kin notifications. It's the worst thing in the world telling a family that their loved one is likely never coming home and we are not looking for him anymore. I mean, yeah. it's, yeah. it's terrible. Um, especially for the ones, I mean, it's, it's a little different, I guess, if you're able to go brief them and say, you know, we found your family member and unfortunately he's deceased or she's deceased, but it's another to say, um, they're likely deceased, but we can't prove it to you. And they're just, you know, you don't know. And that's, that's a tough thing for a family to swallow. I can't even imagine. That's, uh, so this is the first time we've ever talked about this on this podcast and yeah. what's interesting to me is is as you're talking like that's not something i really even thought of because yeah. that's not that's not our realm i get off the helicopter i'm i'm done i, yeah. I go back into the air room i kick on tv oh cool they suspended the search now that's very um that's very cold is what that was that statement and i'm okay with that because that's reality as well we have to we have to separate ourselves from emotions as far as, oh, you know what? We did everything we could. They're now going to suspend the search. I now need to be on standby for the next person that needs my help. Right. Um, but yeah, you guys. It has to happen. Yeah. 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 That's, that's not, that's interesting. I, I actually didn't know like a lot yeah. of that, you know? Um, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I put together plenty of next to kin briefs, you know, for, you know, DRM or DR, whatever, you know, the, but I'd never that. And thankfully that is the only next to no, next of kin notification I ever had to do. And I am very glad about that. Cause that is not, you know, God bless all the, the men and women that have to do that. I mean, not only in the coast guard, but you know, police yeah. and fire and all your first responders who have to be the, that bear of, of bad news. It's the worst uh, news of their life. It it's, it's an incredible thing to do to try to show not only strength but compassion at the same time right, uh, right and it but it's something that has to be done i mean we owe it to the people that we you know are entrusted to serve and and to help is you know to try to bring as much closure as we can but sometimes there's really no closure at all except for telling them yeah we're not searching anymore and that's a brutal brutal message to tell, I mean, and, and you're having to explain it sometimes at the most basic level. One of the questions one of the family members had, you know, as I'm showing the drift models and where we searched. And I mean, it was just such a simple question of, well, my husband went in there. Why are you searching over there? And then you're going to explain things you weren't really even prepared, you know, about yeah. you know, current and drift and, and, and wind and, and all of the factors that, you know, just some of those basic things that, that we don't think twice about because it's our world, right? Right. Uh, but that, you know, the, you know, the layman may not even understand why aren't you searching for him where he went in the water? Oh, golly. Okay. Yeah. This yeah. is why. And then you, yeah. you try to do a very they're not, where low level explanation. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, wow. Yeah. 
That's one heck of a job. And I'm going to tell you again, I think it was extremely honorable for you to, to be able to embrace the emotion of that day for that family. And I'm, I have no doubt that it meant a lot to them. I have no doubt. I hope so it was, yeah, it was a brutal day. Sorry to end this on such a downer, man. No, we gotta talk no. about something else. Did I tell you that I flew his Sig Hansen around? I mean, <laughs> oh, what? Wait a minute, what? It's on a high, man. What's oh, well, ended on a high. Hey, wait, you did? I did. So that was actually kind of fun. So the whole deadliest catch thing, they were filming an episode of like after the catch, you know, where all the, the captains get around over a beer and they're talking about the season or whatever. And, and Sig Hansen was in San Diego. And after the catch wanted to have Sig see what a rescue is like from the perspective of a helicopter. So we took him and did a couple of day boat hoists and just kind of showed him. So we got to see what goes on in the helicopter, you know, when stuff like that happens. So yeah, so that's kind of cool. Oh, that is awesome. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? I will end it with that. I love it. Kendall, I cannot thank you enough for coming on and just, you know what? Not only recapping your career, but recapping that one case for me. uh, It was, it was awesome to talk to you. Great seeing you as well. It's, it's been an absolute pleasure. And and we're not going this long again. No, 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 no. We got to see each other soon. (laughs) <laughs> absolutely absolutely awesome so i will call you the next time i get to virginia uh and, and we'll hang out we'll go out and grab dinner i love it awesome i'm so excited already <laughs> sweet well thank you again i appreciate it and uh and i will see you later and with that ladies and gentlemen we are out of here thank you for tuning in we hope you enjoyed this episode of the real rescue podcast Please take a minute to like, subscribe, and hit that share button. I'm pulling chocks and taking off. But before I go, if anyone out there has a rescue story they would be willing to share, I would be humbled and honored to have you on as a guest. Or if you have any questions about rescue or anything else we talk about here, send an email to jason at therealrescue.com. That's jason at t-h-e-r-e-a-l-r-e-s-q.com. You can also check us out on our web pages, therealrescue.com, our Facebook page, and our Instagram page, at The Real Rescue. Again, a special thank you to all of you standing on the watch today. Always remember, when that star alarm goes off, those in distress are praying for a miracle. They are going to get you. Until next time, fly safe and swim hard. <laughs>